a classic big interview. This season, we're going all the way back to 2019-2020, and we've picked out one of our absolute favourites. This is what I had to say about it back then. Hello, you're very welcome to another episode of The Big Interview. This time, our guest is Tim Sherwood, a Premier League winning captain with Blackburn Rovers, a championship winner with Portsmouth, R8, also somebody I love listening to on radio and television because Tim tells it as it is. We're about to take you inside Blackburn Rovers in 1995, one of the most remarkable Premier League stories of them all. It'll be starring King Kenny Dalglish, Alan Shearer, but who needs him when we've got David Speedy and all will become clear, and a fair few midfield battles with some 90s legends. If you were a big fan of Manu Petit's coiffure and grooming, look away now. Here's Tim. Tim Sherwood, thank you for joining the big interview. You once used a phrase, and I'd like to understand it a little bit more, because then everybody listening, whether they saw you or they didn't see you in midfield, will understand you a little bit better. You talk about Dave Williams at Norwich, talking, and you talked about a penny-dropping moment when Dave Williams said, what are we going to see today, what Tim Sherwood can do for Tim Sherwood, or what you can do for the team? You reckoned then that he was right and you were playing for yourself. Describe that, Tim Sherwood, what Williams was trying to get through to you and, and why things changed or had to change. Yeah, I was. Uh, I left Watford. I, I played at Watford where I was an apprentice. So um, I've been there full-time since I was 16 years of age. There was a lot of different turnarounds in managers then and um, I remember playing a lot of games in quick succession there and then all of a sudden I get an opportunity to go to Norwich. When I went to Norwich, it was completely different. The way we played, we were very much direct at Watford getting the ball back to front very quickly it was an old Graham Taylor way of playing he debuted beating Chelsea and Manchester City in a space of two games yeah it was a winning side playing with Johnny Barnes it was yeah as much as it was long there was a lot of quality there quality I mean uh, they they'd finished second in in the old championship which is the Premier League back then so yeah there was but it was a different way of playing when I went to Norwich and they were a tippy tappy side you know it was it was sophisticated and and Williams was one of the coaches Mm. And he was a good coach, but he was still a good player. So when I was trying to get fit and get used to the, the way they were playing, he, I played with him in midfield in the reserve games. And he was still excellent. He was like a Welsh international, but he was technically a gifted player. And I remember I'd been there a month and I thought, I, I was playing in the first team. And I was thinking, how is Dave Stringer, the manager, playing me in front of these guys? Because in training, I couldn't touch the ball. It was just going round me. Um, but obviously games are not like training and, and uh, I was feeling my feet and I started to score a lot of goals and I started to score goals by pretty much relinquishing my defensive duties and playing off the front and I was effective and it was almost, I was undroppable at one stage and I was scoring enough goals from midfield and getting the headlines on the back of the paper other teams started showing a lot of interest because with respect to Norwich, I didn't want to stay there for the rest of my career because I wanted to go to a bigger club. And that is what Dave was talking about. He identified it as I would identify in a younger player. I was playing for myself, for my future and not for the team. There was a lot of things I could have done better for the team, but it was self-indulgence. It was about me 
trying to uh, improve me and to make other people look at me and hopefully twist their arm to come and take me to a higher level. Were you already quite clear about that in your head, or or is that retrospectively you realise that? It worked for me. (laughs) But it probably... I mean, I know now it wasn't the best thing for Norwich at the time. Not that it mattered uh, where we finished in the league, because we were pretty much a... I mean, they, they, they they were pretty good. I mean, they were pushing... I remember when I did eventually go to Blackburn, we... They were top of the league, and we were second. And we beat them 7-1 at Ewood Park, and I scored a goal. And it was almost like, I think I made the right decision here. You know, and it was a, it was a sliding doors moment for me to go there. But I, I, I admire that, and I always remember, and I always tell the young kids who, who I've, when I was doing the development phase, certainly mm. at Tottenham, I always remember that quote, and I always um, tell them that I've been there. And the, and the penny did drop, and, I, and thankfully it did, but you only learn... When you get the experiences of life, and, and certainly Dave Williams gave me a shock to the system just by that little quote. When you were scoring those goals, did you have what they call in Spain, llegada, llegadas to arrive, and it's somebody who arrives in and around the box with what appears to be outstanding timing. Mm. What, to the amateur eye, you're like, mm. God, he's got some internal GPS. And We asked Gus Poyet about this because he had that. Yeah. When we were growing up, maybe David Platt was famous for, okay, he could strike the ball, but seeming to just arrive in and around in space or mm. run when somebody wouldn't go with you. Did you have that? I think I did at a time. I had good anticipation, um, good knowledge of, I believe, of players. So I would know, I've trained every day with my teammates, so I would know if someone's got the ball on the right side of the box, there's a good chance they might scuff it to the back post rather than drive it in the near post. So you be there and you take the gamble. And you and it'll, I think the, uh, the I think the most dramatic player of that is Frank Lampard. I mean, Frank's anticipation and knowledge of, of others and where that ball might land is, is better than anyone's. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I had it. And I played different roles. But um, I used to like, I used to enjoy that. Obviously, everyone wants to score goals and... and and not necessarily want to do the shit things in the game, you know. Mm. But unfortunately, when you you learn that it has to be done, and you have to do it for the team. But I learned that a little bit later on in my career. One of the things that must have affected, because you talked about Blackburn, must have affected what happened to you is really early on at Norwich, you play Liverpool twice in quite a short succession, and each time it's nil nil, and the manager's Kenny Dalglish. Do you remember either of those games? And, and when you subsequently start working for Kenny, who I'm going to ask you a lot about, did he ever tell you if he noticed you in them games or if it was subsequent games? Those two nil-nils were way back in, what, 89-90, when you're still mm. quite, a young, quite a young player, quite an experienced player. And they look like, from this distance, as good as Norwich were then, pretty big results. Mm. Do you remember them? Do you remember the challenge of playing Liverpool uh, under th- Kenny? I remember a game when, um, I think we, we beat Liverpool 2-0, in one game I think it might be I, I don't know that my mind plays tricks on me like so. but I, I I do remember obviously a big game because I'm grown up with that Liverpool side and when you used to travel to Anfield and you pull up on the bus and the crowd never used to give you the two fingers or the one finger they used to just give you five and on the other hand was a zero and used to and then just shaking your head 
And I used to like look out the window and say, yeah, we'll take that. I was going to say, that wouldn't have put you off too much. They, that's what they used to do. They just shake their head as you're pulling in and just like give you four, four nil or five nil. <laughs> and you used to, we used to look at each other and say, we'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of it. <laughs> You'd have been up against Ronnie Whelan, yeah. Steve McMahon, against your ex-teammate Johnny Barnes. These are the two nil-nils when Dave Stringer's still picking you ahead of everybody else. And, you know, those, those games must have influenced Kenny when he, th- when he thinks, OK, how am I going to build a title-winning team at Blackburn? I'm absolutely certain about it. Mm. A couple of interviews ago, we sat down with Charlie Adam. And Charlie told us about the, the process of being signed for Liverpool by Kenny Dalglish. Um, because I think Kenny phones him up and says, right, we'll have a chat about this, come round to my house. And he pitches up and Kenny's in his pyjamas on the couch watching golf and says, listen, kitchen's in there. Make me a cup of tea, toast in the, in the you know in the bread bin or whatever. And Charlie's like, I'm talking to the all-time legend of Scottish football. He's sitting there in his pajamas and his dress going, feet up watching the golf, and I'm making tea. And his was that anything like your introduction to Kenny Douglas? I remember um, went to speak to what's it, Arthur Cox. He was manager of Derby. Derby County, yeah. I went up there with my agent at the time. It was Eric Hall, Monster 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 Monster. monster. Now. Eric was great. I used to love Eric because he was just, he entertained me. You know, he was, he was good entertainment. And, and back then it was just when the, the club started paying agents and so I didn't have to pay him anyway. So I thought I'd keep him on tow and he'd let him get a... For everybody you know, who's seen him, got to eat. he's about Danny DeVito size, shaving black hair, a cigar that's bigger than his head. Yeah. Larger than life in terms of noise. He'd come from rock and roll. I think he'd come from yeah. the music business. He worked with like Elton John, didn't he? And, and all them guys. I think he worked with, I think, EMI Records with, with Elton when they used to stack shelves together. And obviously they all, they went, they went in different directions, you know. And uh, Eric's still about now. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's still about now. But I remember him taking me to, uh, to Derby to meet Arthur. And I said to Arthur, I shook his hand and said, I would joined Derby on the train on the way back Kenny Dalgleish rings Eric and I knew he was talking to someone I didn't know who it was and then he passed the phone over to me and Kenny then started giving me the sales pitch on um, on on Blackburn what was the pitch it was we're going to build something here you know I wouldn't be coming unless it was something exciting um, and obviously it's Kenny Dalgleish I mean I've seen him twist up them uh, them Arsenal and Tottenham defences down the years, you know, and you know, a legend of a player he was, and but with that and, and a winner of a, of a man, it would, it would, because I was in awe of people like that. If they've been a player, and then you go to the club, and then you judge, you start judging them as a coach and as a manager. But initially, it opens your eyes, and you do get influenced. And he. he no bullshit, Kenny. I mean, he's a straight talker. I mean, everyone knows that. You know, he's a, he's a very intelligent guy and no one pulls a wool over his eyes. And he just gave it to me straight. And I said to him, I've got a problem because I've told Arthur I'm going to join Derby. So he said, well, we want you here. Have a little think about it. If you want to come to us, then we'll see you tomorrow. So <laughs> it was as simple when as that. When he said a little think... Yeah. He wasn't saying no. So take we said, a week. yeah, but he, he obviously it was a it was a thing where he didn't. He, now Kenny's like it wasn't about go and talk to your family, go and see you there, see where you want to live. It wasn't about that, Kenny just thinks we're Blackburn. I'm here as a manager. We're building something. We're better than Derby. Who's your other option? 
So what you got to think about? Basically, that is what he's saying. That's how he saying thinks. It. It's definitely how he so thinks. So he's thinking that it's all about the football. It's not about your life. It's not about if you want to go and live up north in Blackburn or you would rather go to, to Derby. It's not about that. It's about what we're going to do on the pitch because that should be your life. You have to be married to the game, in his opinion. And he was right. So I put the phone down on him and I said to Eric, what am I going to do? So he said, um, what do you want to do? I said, I'm going to Blackburn. I said, but how are we going to tell Arthur? All of a sudden, the phone rings. Arthur speaks to me. says, you had the big man on the phone. I said, who? He said, Kenny, the king. I said, yeah. I don't know how he knew. I remember Kenny's probably rung him and just said, listen, he's probably done the gentleman thing and said, look, I know you've spoken to him, but we have as well. So he said to me, if I'm your son and I want to guide you like my son, I will tell you to sign for Blackburn because that is going to be a different level of club to where we are. And why it was such a sliding doors moment is the fact that we played Derby in the semi-final of the playoffs to get into the Premier League and that we knocked them out and beat Leicester in the final. So it could have gone such a different direction. Even before the pitch and the playoffs proved that you made the right decision. Tell me I'm not wrong. In fact, I know I'm not wrong and you're an honest guy. People don't think or speak like that in football very often. You talked about playing for yourself because there was a purpose and it's natural. But in football, everything's really just about themselves. The people who do what Arthur Cox did to you are in a very small percentage. Am I right or am I wrong? No, absolutely. I think more then. Now it's completely changed. Yeah, I think everyone's out for themselves. So I think back in that day then, I think people more... They're more like that. More up front. And I think that that is... When I, in the end... When and Kenny was that type of man as well, even with his management style. And I think I learned that when I went into management, I was very upfront with the players. I mean, I, if they wanted to talk to me about why they weren't playing, I wouldn't sell them a story. I wouldn't make up. Basically, you're picking a team to win a football match, and the one in front of you is better. It's better. So first times with Kenny. Then once you make the decision, his manner. First of all, I mean, this is not. Do you understand everything? It's, it was difficult at first. I mean, you have to be in front of him to understand, and he's such. You know, he's dry. Dry. He's dry and quick-witted, you know. He's got that, that humour and um, we, we clicked straight away. <clears throat> Even though when I went there, I was carrying a hernia and uh, I was terrible. No good, no good whatsoever. And I remember him backing me in the press and um, he said to... They asked him why that he had signed me and he said, I've signed him to play in the Premier League. He said, because when we signed him in the Premier League and he gets better players around him, then he'll be the player that I've signed. Good eye. Great eye. People who don't remember will, will have forgotten that you were taking a risk because Blackburn maybe are building, but they're still to go up, don't they? Yeah. I was um, a step down in leagues, um, but I was confident in the... Um, it's like you talked about arriving in the box. Risk, you take a risk. Yeah, but I knew, I knew he weren't telling me lies. You know, some people can tell you, you know, you can sign a player and you're going to, we're going to sign this one, that one. And, and you know they that's selling your story. I knew from Kenny it wasn't a story. I knew that he was built... Because he'd gone there himself. I mean, he's put himself on offer by leaving... You know, he's managed the biggest clubs in the world. David Speedy. Hat-trick in the playoff semi? Derby, was it? Derby, was it? He scored in the final. He scored in the in final. In the penalty, yeah. He dived. Uh, I think he dived uh, to earn the penalty in the final. And he, he would be first to admit that. He was cruelly taken down. Then, for the benefit of our listeners, I'd like to know a little bit about David Speedy and playing with him, but also about a guy who I thought at Villa was top class. 
He's called Sid by everybody. His real name's Gordon Cowens. Can you paint a picture of either of those two guys and working with them or playing with them? I stayed in the hotel up there. It's called the Duncan House, and they stayed in the in the. And I didn't realise it was possible to drink as much on Thursdays and Fridays before playing on the Saturdays. And we used to come in on a Friday and play a five-a-side. And it was such an intense five-a-side. Kenny played. He was the best player. But Kenny would pick his team against the rest. And it was so intense. It was a, it was a kick fest. I mean, it was, it was so rough and tumble. And Kenny knew if they were drinking or any of us. He knew. I mean, he just, he knows, he knows all the tricks. He knows people that, when we're training, we're out on the training field, whoever's standing downwind of him, you know, is <laughs> a good chance you're trying to hide something. And he used to call Gordon, Gordon sucking mints, cow. <laughs> so <laughs> it was quite obvious to me that uh, I said, he's on to you. Because he's like, no, why, why wouldn't he be? I said, he's on to you, I'm telling you, he ain't silly. So he, he knows. Anyway, but these performances, Gordon was the fittest guy ever. One paced, yes, right? But technically, the friend of the football, um, the range of passing he had, the, the leadership qualities by not talking, you know, and us just looking at him and knowing how gifted he was, and a winner, won the European Cup. I think it was because of that, the history of what, what he's done. But his application, yes, he had liked a good time. And yes, he liked it a pint like we all did. But when it comes time to work, he worked and he worked hard and he would never be. He knew if he'd been out on the Thursday or whenever he'd been out or whenever, he knew he had to be at the front and he was always at the front. And he was always working harder than everyone else. And he was a great one to follow, and all the boys followed him. And uh, Speedy was completely different. He was his own man. He would smash anyone in training, and he, and that's what made him such a good player. I've never seen a player win so many games for us. I remember there was a banner. When I first went there, there was a banner saying, "Why we don't need Shearer, we've got Speedy. Yeah. And Speedo used to say, oh, I had that one. I come in here from Simon Garner. He said, so they always had this striker. So Simon Garner was a legend up there and he's still around when I went there. And then Speedy come in. So he said, I've been through this. And then when Shearer come in, it's almost like, we don't need Shearer, where's Speedy? You know, and it, but his goals he scored with his head. Mm. You know, he's to come across people. And, and when you look at the mess of the defenders after, he's just a, he used to jump and elbow them in the, you know. Just, so it was, I, but it was fearless, but it was also... A, a, a raw aggression that you aren't allowed today at all. Yeah. But it was totally fearless. But I always thought as well, because he, he wasn't big. No. His sense of timing, both in the leap, but when to make those runs, yeah. when he might catch somebody out. Like you said, maybe it was partly because he knew about the delivery, but yeah. he seemed to have just an absolute, I don't care what it costs, I'll get to that first. Mm. Which... But I can't think of anybody who played. He takes that way. you by surprise, so he come really quick and really late with his headers. Like the defender thinks he's already heading it, and then all of a sudden something comes across the face of him and he's just glancing it in. I mean he was just he was incredible. I mean he's a massive part of the promotion push. Mm. Massive. I mean he was he was integral. Almost as integral as Shearer was when we won the Premier League. 
I mean, it was incredible what he contributed to that. Do footballers like Speedy, not just him, when you're in a dressing room, when you're on a team bus going to a difficult ground, <clears throat> do they make you think differently about the prospect ahead? Do, do they make you think, well, whether he's having a good day next to me or whether I'm on a, you know, hernia's playing up or I've had a bad night or whatever it is, Speedy will do something or Speedy will win us. Does that change your mentality? That trust thing about like, yeah, we've got an, we've got a pirate in our team. We've got a. Bat. It does, yeah, because you know you know the opposition are thinking that way as well. And then when they're lined up in the tunnel against you, looking across, they're like thinking, oh, they've got some armory here. <laughs> you know, they've got some. They got players, and we we that grew at Blackburn. I think we uh, obviously we finished fourth and then second, and we won the league. So that fear factor for the opposition grew, uh, and they started looking at all of us like that, you know. And uh, it's a good feeling to have. Because I've done it down the years, lined up against that Liverpool side or that Man United side, you know, and, and when it come a little bit later on. Who did you find in the game you could put off the game with, I don't know, a nasty tackle, a snarl? Who were in, Who did you think, either this team or this, I don't care if you do or name the person, yeah. but who did you know? Nah, nah, Emmanuel Petit. Um, now you surprised me. Obviously, I knew, I knew the history of this derby, um, Arsenal-Tottenham, because... This, I knew nothing else. You'd lived it. Yeah. And I couldn't have kissing and cuddling in the tunnel before the game. And they, and even when they show it on the big screen, you know, and you're seeing like, and they're all talking to each other. They're all French internationals. Uh, and I just used to wind me up. They were better than us um, in that time at Tottenham. So I used to say to the boys, we need to find an edge. So I used to start from the moment we walk out of the dressing room. And I used to abuse him like you wouldn't believe like I'm going to do this to you I'm going to do that and I say the same to Patrick and Patrick used just to look forward and as if I wasn't even there and he don't I don't even exist in his life but Emmanuel could not help but respond and I knew I said you're a good listener I knew I I, <laughs> I knew I I knew I had him and I knew he was I was taking him off his game because he was a top player that's top. why I said I was surprised because he wasn't a chicken. Um, he could really use mm. the ball. At his best, he was a decent athlete to me. I mean, not super quick, but he got up and down mm. and he seemed to like English football. So yeah. you caught me a, out with that one. He was a monster. When he went to, I, he continued when he went to Chelsea. When he, I remember we played him. Tottenham-Chelsea is another good derby mm. as well. So we were, we were at Wyatt Lane and um, I remember he comes into a tackle with me and I'm a little bit more experienced than him and... He he flies in and I just go a little bit higher, but I know I stay on my feet and the referee, invariably when you stay on your feet, they miss everything. They think it's all about, oh, he's left the floor, that must be a foul. So he's flew in on me and I've crunched him, like probably going to do him some damage and he's rolling around on the floor. And I get the free kick. So he's getting treatment, he's lying on the floor and I'm going up to him, just reassuring him and I'm whispering stuff in his hair and I say you're going to get more of this you're going to and I pulled out his toggle with his hair so I pulled out the ponytail and I threw it into the west stand at Tottenham so his hair is now he look now he's got a lion's mane and his head is going to explode so all of a sudden the ankle got better I don't remember the game but this is definitely going to be cards he's jumped up he's jumped up off the there and he is physically crying he is he's gone to Janola and he's saying in English so I can hear he said David I hate him 
that was uh, that was victory for me. Oh, you're not kidding. That was victory. But I, after the game, I would go and straight. Oh, yeah, it's off right now. Straight, straight, to, straight to shake his hand. <laughs> you doubled up. Where were you? Like, oh, the best mate. Yeah. Yeah. But Patrick would. I mean, uh, we no, had so different many, species. But different. different Just didn't even, didn't even acknowledge it. And I've got so many holes on my shins because of him. Do you know? Yeah. And, but I've, yeah, I, he's probably ahead. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. So amongst the, you know, that league winning side, I remember the battle as as you go up each season and your finishes, the real battle was United. Yeah. And there was one, I remember I was out running, listening to it on the radio, in the dark, in Aberdeen, I don't know, I was there, with a little earphone in. I think Kevin Gallagher scores in a 1-0 win there. And that felt like the the breakthrough moment, because United had, never mind the traditional rivals, they'd seen you coming, Alec and Kenny, it was bound to be personal. Mm. They've had serious ups and downs over the years. What was that rival, the, the whole thing about taking United down, which is what you had to do? What was that like? Or what was the pressure like? What was the anticipation like? What were they like to play? Um, it was the only rivalry. You know, they, the, I can't think of anyone who'd come to the party other than that. It, it was just them or us. And, and for a long time, it's just totally nip and tuck. Them or us, and it was blind. There was obviously mind games as well where... They tried to take Allen, didn't they, when, yep. when Allen come? And Kenny had tried to get Roy, I think, yeah. and United had just got there first. I remember Jack Walker, when they bid for Allen, he said, yeah, we, you can have Allen, but we got to have Cantona. Hmm. As a joke, he knew there was no chance. So he was basically saying to them, why, why are you bullies? Hmm. Well, you can't bully me. Why, why are you trying to bully me? That Alan Shearer is going to win us the title. And thankfully... They couldn't persuade Alan to go there. When Fergie presented him at the uh, awards, uh, Alan got a Lifetime Achievement Award and Fergie presented it. And Richard Keyes was uh, hosting and he gets him on the stage and he says to Alan, you know, you're talking about going to Man United. He said, if you would have gone to Man United, you would have won more things. And Alan said, if I would have gone to Man United, he would have won more things. (laughs) It's a great answer, <laughs> uh, but I think Alan Alan was um, he was just integral, wasn't he, for everything we did. And when you look at like Shearer, Batty, Lasso, mm-hmm. Flowers, mm-hmm. Hendry, Berg, yeah, Henning, um, Ripley, Wilcox, all men, all 
and we weren't phased. Right? We, you, no matter what they wanted in the game, we would have it. If it was if it was going to be a kicking match or it was going to be a technical game, whatever, we could we could handle ourselves in that. So we wasn't phased. When we're looking across at Bruce Pallister, early days were a little bit rough. You know, you got Robson, who's like a just a legend in in my eyes. I, I say to people now, Brian Robson could play in the Premier League now and be the best player, mm-hmm. the best midfield player. He could tackle, mm-hmm. he could score, he'd run the game, his physicality, he refereed the game, he did everything. Everyone was in awe of him. He was just brilliant. And I still believe he could play now. It's underestimated then how good he was because there was less coverage. Yeah. The old Premier League thing now compared yeah. to, but he's all time, all time. Just, just the governor. I mean, he's just. Just unbelievable. He's just, but that was. I grew up looking and watching him, yeah. And obviously, he had them. And he, when he played for England, always seemed to pick up injuries, didn't he? And you, you could understand when you play against him, you understand why. I mean, he's just so robust. It's all over it. I mean, he would bully you. He would technically, he was gifted. He could arrive at the right time. You should talk about earlier yep. about scoring goals. Um, and that was they built the Manchester United way there was a way of, of not only on the pitch but a way they behaved outside of it and they and Fergie almost and not only Fergie but likes of Brian and, and Brucey and Pallister and Dennis Irwin and all these legends there Sparky they they give you they know Manchester United and, and they had this swagger and they had this aura about them but we wasn't phased. You know, we look across in, uh, in the tunnel. People when I was at Watford, lot, yeah. yes. When I was at Norwich, yes. When I was at Blackburn, you just look straight ahead because we know they're, they're worrying about us as, well, as we're worrying about them. You know, but they've obviously Eric and Kanchelskis. You know, they've got all these players going through. And then Kino comes and the younger generation. They're all getting taught along the way how to be Man United pupils. And... It wasn't just on the pitch, it was off the pitch as well. But we did not feel phased by them whatsoever. You've set that up beautifully because, again, for those who either watched you or, or don't remember it so well, they're aware that you won the title. You've talked a lot about the people in the dressing room and how they matched up to the, the behemoth, the giants at Old Trafford. Yet, you were captain. Why did he choose you? I don't know. It was really interesting the way he told me. We were in pre-season uh, in Ireland and... Kevin Moran was captain, obviously a legend of the game, great guy. And he called me to his room at the hotel. And when I went into the room, Kevin's in there as well. Mm. So Kenny said to me, um, this old fellow's getting a little bit too long in the tooth for it. He's obviously spoke to, to Kevin. He said, he's not going anywhere. He'll be around, but he's going to... We've had a little chat and we think it might be time for you to start leading out the side. So I said, yeah, I think you're right, yeah, I think you're right. He knew he'd get that sort of reaction. <laughs> so uh, he said, we agree, Kev? And Kevin said, yeah. Because he obviously had Kevin on the inside. Because mm. the captain is, your, is the extension of the, of the manager. Not to be a snitch, but just to give him honest views and opinions. So he must have said to Kevin, what's he like in the dressing room? Yeah. What's he like around? Is he overawed by the rest of them? We're signing some big-name players. And Kevin would have said, not phased. Yeah, that, and he probably said the right things and, and that is why they made it it was interesting that they made that transition and that in that introduction how they did it was strange that's a strange way to do it, to do it even to if me. it's pre-packed and whatever even once you've agreed it, to speak like that in front of the outgoing captain obviously they knew what they were doing but it's an odd way to do it yeah did you want it previously 
Did you have any inkling it might come? I just didn't think it would change me anyway. I didn't, didn't understand what it means. It's not like being a captain of cricket, is it? You know, it's like you're captain, obviously a big honour. You know, so when they start signing Shearers and obviously Hendry was a leader. Mm. There was loads of leaders, loads mm. of guys who could be captain. A lot of men uh, at the side, a lot of players who moved on to other clubs and been coaches and managers and captains mm. elsewhere. But... It wasn't because I had a, an armband on my arm. It wasn't going to change the way I played or acted. I was I was going to be the same person anyway. So, but there was, so it changed nothing in you in terms of responsibility. Think, well, what do I have to do with this? What's it for? I think it was a good it was a good way of. We talked about Norwich, didn't we? The Dave Williams thing, and uh, that was a a moment, a penny dropping moment for me when he said, you know, Tim Sherwood going to do what he can do for Tim Sherwood or what he's going to do for Norwich, and I think this. Kenny knew there was a little bit of devil in me still, um, even though I'd realised the penny had dropped that I was actually at this, got this opportunity to play this magnificent game and get paid for it. And it, it was probably worthwhile me getting the most out of it I possibly could in a Milner sort of style, even though he's gone on to completely different levels of fitness and, what's the right word, his, his approach and his... His, his professionalism to it is took it to another level. He'll do the yoga, he'll eat and drink yeah. differently from now everybody else. It's a total exclusion of everything else yeah. until the, the, the career is done. It's it's yeah. it's monastic. Yeah. He's obviously happy. Yeah. And it doesn't make him this stupid image of being boring because he's no. not. No. Very clever, very funny, passionate about the game, tough as anything. Mm. He has to also be tough. But yeah, he's he's but he's still quite unusual. But you needed to, or it helped you I go. I think there was still a, an, an element there. Should of, we say a bit of Devon or whatever? You, you're yeah. not just talking on the pitch. No, I'm talking off. There was a nice I, bit of living going on. Yeah, and I think that he he would have felt there was an extra responsibility and yeah. and I would take it on board, and I did. Well, I've been to the training ground. I seem to remember it's down a windy old lane. At, mm. I think it used to be a mental hospital or something like that. It was, it's a creepy old place sometimes. Mm. I it? mean, well, well, not then. I mean, this is Kenny was almost left the club by then uh, when they built Brockle. We trained on a public park. All right. These are the surprises you get. Okay, I didn't know that. We trained on a public park. We got tra- we got changed at the main ground, Ewood Park, which is not Ewood Park like it is now. You know, it was like two armchairs and a, and a, and a sofa at the other end. You know, it was, we drove in convoys, filling up cars, two, three miles to the training ground. We had to stop training every day to let the funeral procession through because there was a cemetery through our... That's, through our, that's okay. true. Tony Parks, who's a, who was a coach up there, Asa Hartford, um, other coaches we had, they would have to go early... Make sure there's no dog shit oh, on the shit, pitch. No, I knew that was coming. And then they cleaned it off. And Kenny used to have that mentality of, and I, I've heard him say it about Liverpool's training, Melwood. Mm-hmm. It's not about the facility. It's about people in it. Mm. And he's right. It's not about the trimmings. Mm. It's about who's actually making it work. And the, it was such a... We used to know the... The, everyone, I would talk to you, and I'm sure you've heard it millions of times. The tea ladies, and I, mm. we know they were family to us. You know, we we we. But Kenny helps to create that environment because he had that environment at Liverpool, and it was an easier task to take it. From I don't there. understand any other way. It has to be like that. It should be natural that if you're training in a public park when you've got multi-million pound players, it should be that it's a distraction. It's too windy. 
that somebody want, a dog wants to run on the pitch or you, ch- you spend too much time chasing the ball because there ain't no you know fences and it's, it should have been a, a sh- in theory it should have been a handicap to you winning the title mm. and yet it wasn't mm. because of no attitude the yeah. people the quality I think that year 95 we would have just moved in maybe into there but yeah. it, it was an integral part I mean it was it was it was a building process from I mean it was quite quick the development from mm. finishing fourth in the first year of the Premier yep. League in 92 to finishing second. second and then that following year we we knew we'd win it you know it was almost At what stage well we knew we'd win it at the beginning of the season we we felt when we finished fourth if you would have asked me then, do you think you can win the league next year? I would have said, no. Not that Kenny would want to hear that, but I would have thought, they're just a little bit too far ahead of us. There's work to do. Man United, I just don't think we were ready. But when we finished second, it was all, if you would have asked me that pre-season, we, I'd say, yeah, we'll win it. We'll win it. We'll overturn them this year. We'll win the league. Because you could feel the gap was narrower. Yeah, because I feel the belief was there as well. Oh, I think there was yeah, more belief uh, amongst, amongst the squad that we could... Not only beat them, but we would roll everyone else over. You, you, you said in pre-season you knew, but on the last day of the season, did you know? What, what, what was that like? Horrible. <laughs> it was the worst ever because it was, we were 12 points clear at one stage. Yeah. And it was almost like, if you didn't want anyone chasing it, it was Man United. Serial winners, know how to get over the line. Great players. Eric done us a great favour, didn't he, by Kung Fu kicking the kid in Salas Perp. Park, so it was, a, it was a massive blow to him. Lost four or five months, didn't he? He was just so such a character and great for the Premier League, and he was he's just a, he was just such an important part of what they were doing, you know. And and to lose him for that amount of time it would be like us losing Shearer. Yeah. So it was a massive plus for us, you know. We were just I know they appealed the the ban, the length of the ban. You know, you glued to the telly, hoping that it doesn't get reduced. And thankfully, I don't think it was too much. And but then. We just had to come. Kenny was always like, well, he knew, didn't he? I mean, he knew how to win leagues, Kenny. He knew how to win leagues as a manager. He knew how to win it as a player. So he was always, well, he's, he's the man. He's been over the line. So let's follow his lead. Why wouldn't you? And that's what we did. And he just kept us really focused. Never, ever spoke about winning or losing leagues. Just one game at a time. Always boring shit, cliches. But it, and that's how it was. But then when it, we started losing, they continued to win. And the gap was closing. You get doubts. And, and the, for me, I dream about that time when I'm going to be the first up to lift that trophy and that could be taken away from me. It was just unthinkable. And it was sleepless nights. And just and that night, you know, we listened to all that shit. Oh, Liverpool don't want Man United to win it, so they're not going to try. We knew they were going to try. I know John Barnes. I played with him. Jamie Redknapp was my mate. I know all the others. Listen... Ideally, if they could pick someone to win the league, they would rather us than Man United. But not for the next any, ninety minutes, they're on any it. Any professional player yeah. does not, and they've yeah. got no pressure on them. They've got nothing to play for, and that makes them even more dangerous. Um, I mean, the fans wanted us to win it. The Liverpool fans at Anfield, of course, they did. I mean, they would rather Jamie didn't bend that one in and John, Johnny Barnes equalising and Jamie bending that one in the last minute. But we played a minute of that game knowing we were champions of the Premier League. Which we I just walked around. It's funny because you're not only talented, but you're, you are self-confident and you've got strong character. But it affected you. That that's what interests me. That the psychology of, irrespective of knowing, I've got soldiers all around me who mm-hmm. are immensely talented. The manager's been the course, but and and like I say, you're not short of a mix of talent and character. Yet in the weeks building up to it, it did get to you. It get to me, but I couldn't 
show anyone else. I mean, it got to all of us. So they, we would all admit that. I think what got to us, the fact that we've had our hands on this. I mean, we've been 12 points clear and someone's pulling them away from us and could take the trophy up the road to them. I mean, it's just unthinkable. So that, I think that was what it was. I mean, we can suffer. I think when you're, ahead, you're such a, so far ahead in a race, for someone to come and, come and catch you, and it's almost your doing. I mean, we're dropping points. We're coming back to them. You know, and they must have rubbing their hands thinking we got them exactly where we want them. Um, no, it was just that thought of if we didn't win it, we knew full well it would damage us so much we wouldn't win it the next year. I hear that. That's, I mean, I wasn't fishing for that, but that puts it in context. Mm. You're not just thinking about now, but you're like, what, what damage? What happens it? if? Yeah. Then that's, that's for, for a competitive man. Yeah. That's I mean, you still, you still, you still live with that now, yeah. wouldn't I? I mean, uh, yes. I mean, I do a lot of media stuff now, and, and they introduced me as Premier League winner. Does it still sound quite nice? But yeah, I just don't like talking about it. No. <laughs> God, that's how you used to do petite as well, isn't it? You've just done me there when I was preparing to move off with the ball. Can, I, that, give you, can I give you a compliment? I'll tell you, let me tell you that one. I, I always think, and I always feel from. And I can't, I can't help thinking about um, Phil Jones's face. That Aguero goal, even though Man United have won it multiple times, that still keeps them up. That Man United celebrating and Aguero job. scoring against QPR, last kick of the season, they still wake up in the middle of the night. I know, I've been in that position. I know they are not ever in their lives will ever get over that, even though they've won multiple titles. The scars are big. Massive. I'm going to think about them more sympathetically now. I think I remember chuckling on the day, and, and we've interviewed a lot of people who, who were in that City team and who we like, and it's a really interesting story about you know, the, the psychology of them chucking it away against 10 men and they think they're going to be in the position you thought you were at Anfield yeah. that day. So there's a lot of scarring going on and maybe yeah. some of the City scars aren't completely healed because they still in their worst nights dream about like did Aguero go, go yeah. in and did we lose it? And I mean it's topical at the moment because everyone says who's the best foreign player because he's breaking all these records and all that and I always come back to if you have to give me one last kick of the game and put someone on a chance he's already shown he can do it. He knows how important that was. He's just got this ice in his veins and this special quality. But you've just said best foreign. You didn't say best foreign striker. So, like, you know, I'm not the argumentative kind, obviously. And out of respect, Mm. you're going to win every argument. Mm. But, I mean, come on. How do you even begin to choose? You mentioned Cantona. Changed the club. Changed the entire league. Mm. Did things with his fish and his trawler and his kung fu kick and his practicing and blah, blah, blah. Or, I mean, a giant. It's Michael. So Michael could be on his day, maybe was the best keeper the world's ever seen. But they're giants. Mm. Henri. I mean, I no, they're all great. I'm talking about strikers. Strikers. Someone with a chance in front of goal to put that ball in the net. If I had to have my life on anyone, it would be Sergio. It's a big compliment. Foreign. Foreign. Big compliment. Otherwise, I would have Shearer. Shearer. I knew that was coming. Thank you. Pleasure.
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.